Am I still on? Okay, good. I hope I muted it when I coughed, right? <laughs> you don't need to hear that. <laughs> I'm a little bit hoarse this morning myself. My sons, do not be negligent now. For the Lord has chosen you to stand before him and serve him, to minister before him, and to burn incense. One night in early October 1981, that's a long time ago, as I was reading the Bible, for the first time I was reading it as an adult and seeking to understand life and searching for answers, those words from Second Chronicles 29 shocked me. They jolted me. I mean, here I was just randomly, what I was doing, I was randomly looking up old uh, Bible verses that my mother-in-law had written on the inside front cover of an old Bible that we had at home. She'd been using it in, in a women's study group. And, and I just started looking up those, those, those references and finding them and reading them. But as I read this, I was shaken and something inside me said that this verse was for me. A few days later, I had the joy of becoming a follower of Jesus. Thanks to, thanks to my neighbor six doors down, who, who also happened to be the pastor and was beginning a church in, in the Nanaimo called Hammond Bay Baptist Church. His name was Perry, Pastor Gary Dirksen. Gary... Gary walked me through what was happening in my life. Some, some, we talked about some of the, the, the dramatic things that were happening and some of the more mundane things, what I was wrestling through. But he told me that he believed that God was at work in me. And, he, and he, then he showed me from, from Scripture what I ought to do. Well, what I ought to have done, I did. <laughs> I, that night, I trusted Jesus for my standing with God. And now, here I am, forever, forever forgiven and free. Forever. Now, that was a long time ago, I know. And, and, but the journey has been really fulfilling. Not without some crazy, hairy, weird stuff happening and wild stuff challenges certainly wasn't a straight line to go from being a, a manager and a sales sales rep for a, a warehouse distribution chain of automotive parts to pastor i mean don't they there's a natural fit right <laughs> no it's not uh, there are some things we can have points in common but no it was not a straight line not a straight line but god used that verse in chronicles and he also, that, that verse is also known, by the way, as, uh, it's referred to as the priest's call. It was the, the call of the priests to serve God in the Old Testament. But he used that to show me my future. And, and I took that as evidence that God was, would work in my life, even before I knew him. And that's when I asked that pastor, what do I do? And I did well, so we're going through this series, Radical Transformation. 
And uh, so far in the series, we've been challenged, the two, the two so far, to, 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 to dream God's dream or to begin to dream again. Let God resurrect some of those dreams that we have had in our past or that we feel that we're not sure if, we, if we're still going to achieve. And then to remove any barriers that get, might get in the way of those things and ways of, of accomplishing those dreams. And the ba- we talked about that last week. The barriers could be, be painful experiences in our past. They could be life events that just seem to st- sidetrack us and put our life on hold. They, it could be, on the other hand, failing to recognize things that we ought to do because God's at work. That last one, that failing to recognize when God at work is, is I think, a, a real, it's, it's a biggie. It's a big one. Because in our, we're busy, we're busy people. In our busy lives, we have many challenging and, and varied experiences. We have diverse experiences, diverse challenges. But when we're in the thick of some of those things that can become those obstacles, we can lose sight of what God's doing through them. And we can spend years sometimes wondering if we're ever going to accomplish what God wants and not realize that everything that we are going through, God can and God does use to teach us, to shape us, to refine us, to and, and grow us. Did, did any of us here think that it would all happen automatically? That we'd be perfectly aware of, of God when he's at work in us? Uh, no, I, don't, I certainly didn't. No. But do you see it? Do you see it? Do you, do you see how God is intimately involved in your life? Do you, in, the, in the easy stuff and in the difficult. Do, do you have an awareness of God as you go through the everyday? One thing I love about the Bible, well, a lot, but one thing I love about the Bible is that it doesn't candy coat the stories. This isn't all nice stories of super saints who always gain the victory and always do the right thing. It's kind of the opposite. God always gives us that fuller picture when he, when he uses somebody. He's, he uses deeply flawed people sometimes. He uses broken people. He uses ordinary people to accomplish what he wants. This morning, we're going to look at one of them from the Old Testament. Uh, David was the king of Israel, became the king of Israel. And as we know, Jesus is descended from David. There's actually more space devoted to uh, David's life in the Bible than to any other person, except perhaps Jesus himself. Nobody else has more written about him than David. Uh, He's described in a number of ways as, and God actually described him to someone as a man who had a heart after God. He had a heart after God. He had incredible victories. (laughs) But he was also a very flawed man. 
saw spiritual defeat at times. I mean, we, we see pictures and stories of him when he's, he's just filled with joy. You read some of those psalms that he wrote, and you just, it pours out of them, just bubbles up in them. But then we read other passages when he's in absolute despair. And today, we're going to look at uh, a couple of the experiences that he had when God showed up in unexpected ways. Uh, sometimes when something unexpected happens, I think we can be a little too quick to just write it off as a coincidence or, or even to uh, think of it in even the more vague term, happenstance. That's an older word. I don't know if you're not familiar with it. Happenstance means a circumstance that happens by chance. Well, we don't want to go overboard and spiritualize every little thing but if we're too quick to write something off as just a coincidence, we might miss seeing God. And we, we want to see God at work. And we want to recognize those things that are, that are indicators of that. Whatever dream God has for you, he is faithful and just to see it come about. And that's what Paul wrote to the Philippians. He said, he, Jesus, who began a good work in you, will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Let's turn to Sam, 1 Samuel chapter 16. Old Testament. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Now David hadn't always been the king of Israel. And he didn't know that at the beginning. He grew up tending sheep. He was the youngest kid in his family. Uh, Samuel, prophet, was sent by God to the home of a man named Jesse. Jesse. Who, guy lived in Bethlehem. And he was told to anoint one of, Sam, uh, one of Jesse's sons with oil as the next king of Israel. Samuel didn't know which son it was going to be. The backstory, of course, and, and nobody knew Samuel was coming. But the backstory that we know is that King Saul was going to have the, uh, the kingdom of Israel tear, torn away from him, from him. He was going to lose his position as king. And we know now that one of Jesse's sons is going to be king though the date for him to become a king didn't, wasn't known. So we're just going to read the, the first part of that chapter. It's on the screen in the New, New International Version. It comes just after these words that talk about why this is happening with Saul. In the last sentence of chapter 15 says, And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Wow. Then the Lord said to Samuel, verse 1, Chapter 16. How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. Well, they knew that he was a prophet of God. And so when a prophet shows up, you get a little nervous. They asked, do you come in peace? 
They're waiting for the hammer to drop. Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. And so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. And so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Wow. <laughs> wow. Now, we don't know if David's family really understood the significance of this anointing. We don't really know uh, whether they knew that someday David was going to be Israel's king. But one thing for certain, everyone saw that something was different about him. So on that day forward, something had changed. The Spirit of the Lord came on him in power. Wow. When you trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord believing who he is and that what he did for us on the cross has taken away our sins, believing in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You are saved. You're a child of the living God at that point. And God puts his spirit in you as a sign or a seal of that relationship. The spirit of God to someone who has come to that living, saving faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God is in you. And you have that same privilege that David had of having the Lord lead you and having the Lord guide you in your life. The thing is, though, it's the same with David. Life does, didn't, doesn't become perfect for us at that point. It just doesn't. We, we grow more by, like the Lord as he transforms us. But that's a process. And we still live here in a, in a, very, a very cracked and, and, and broken world. And we still have to deal with some of those things that broken people will do. And go through those things in our lives. But, so, and David's life didn't change overnight either. Now, even though he'd been anointed by Samuel, he was, when he tried to do something, he got mocked by his brothers. Um, 
Their little brothers will understand what that's like. <laughs> Older brothers can be bad, hard. Sorry. But yeah, um, he was mocked by his brothers. They didn't think he was much of anything. But he started to grow. And at one point, he took on the largest soldier in an enemy camp, Goliath. And he won. And he fought battles for the king. And, and he built a reputation that caught Saul's attention. But not in a good way. Because when God rejected Saul as king and told him through Samuel he was tearing the kingdom away from him, and then Saul learned that David was God's choice for Israel and the people were all going, oh, Saul is slain his thousands, but David's is ten thousands. David felt Saul's wrath. Saul went gunning for him. Next few chapters tell some of those stories that we've quickly talked about here. But it got so bad that David ended up hiding in the caves just like the people of Israel that we talked about last week who were hiding from their enemies, you know, try, uh, treading grain in the, in the wine press so they couldn't see it, those kind of things. But they were hiding in caves. But David wasn't alone because the, uh, the chapters tell us that some of his family went with him. And also, interesting, in chapter 22 it says, And all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him. <laughs> oh, what a motley crew. All the ones who, yeah, yeah. Did the discontented ones, the ones in distress, I can get, but the discontented ones, yeah, let's go with Dave. But even some of those battles, even, and he grew, and he grew in the number of people with him, and he had at one point 400 trained soldiers, 400 men with him. And even with that, He defeated one of the armies that came against Saul and Israel. But Saul came after him with 3,000 men. And yet somehow David remained confident despite those circumstances. But in the middle of running from Saul, it would have been easy for David to just forget that, that dream that he was going to become king. This God-given role that he was going to have. And, and I think we can, that can happen to us too. We can lose sight of our dreams by what we're going through, by, by when we have bills to pay that are overdue, or uh, when we have conflict with a spouse or a family member, or conflict on the job, when, when we're in the middle of pressure situations that, that require immediate attention and all of our attention and don't seem to have an end date like, oh, I don't know, a pandemic. It's easy to lose sight of those long-term dreams when we're wrestling with present-day alligators. But one of the ways we can keep God's dreams in focus is to see God's present involvement in our lives now, even in small ways. Do you see it? Sometimes we don't see evidence of God's presence until we intentionally look. I want to give us four ways this morning that we can see God at work, if we will look, and then three obstacles that can sometimes prevent us from seeing God at work. So, indicators that God's actually doing something in our lives. 
First indicator that God's at work. It may seem obvious, but answers to prayer. Answers to prayer. Uh, We can, all of us, we can slip into a habit of praying non-requests. Oh Lord, be with us. Oh Lord, bless my children. Be with my kids today. Bless our church. If our prayers are always that nonspecific, how will we actually measure whether they've been answered? But if we actually ask for things, if we pray specific prayers and see specific answers, we recognize God at work. Uh, when our family was going to uh, was moving to to Lower Mainland, Vancouver, Langley, actually, when we were moving to Langley so that I could attend uh, seminary when I came when I changed careers to go back for some theological training, we had some specific prayer that we asked God for. We asked for a place to rent that would that would be within our budget. Uh, which was really small. We were student. I was going to be a student. Um, it had to be available in, in a market. At that time, the, the vacancy rate in Vancouver was 0.4%. So we had that. It had to be available. It had to be somewhere we hoped close to the church that I was going to be placed in to, to uh, have my, uh, my, my practicum, my internship. And... I guess that was the three main things. That was the three. Within one week of sharing that request, one week, God answered all three. And the way he answered it was just, it was obvious to me. It was absolutely obvious it was God that answered it. I mean, it fit everything we needed and more. God's greater plan for me was to, to, to go to school, to, to, to change my career. My pastoral, pastoral and theological training was the bigger plan. But that was only one of many answers to prayer that we saw as we stepped out and did that. That was the one and only time in my whole life that I had been unemployed. It was after I quit my job with that company and before I started school. <laughs> Crazy. But we were, were just super encouraged to keep our focus on that bigger plan by seeing the answers to the prayer that God had brought us. So that's the first. The second one is um, I called uh, unexpected evidence of God's care. Maybe unanticipated, kind of just pops up and you go, wow, that really was an example. Uh, one time we were uh, driving I- in Vancouver and... and uh, we were the first car at an intersection, right at, right at the, the crosswalk there. And uh, we were in the curb lane, and there was a larger vehicle in the, in the middle lane, so we couldn't see past it. And the light turned green, and just for some reason, just for some reason, I hesitated just for a moment. And my wife will tell you, I don't usually hesitate when I get a green light. <laughs> it's like, let's go. But for some reason, I just hesitated, and a car just blew through that intersection right in front of us, just like way over the speed limit running the red light. 
Was it a coincidence that I hesitated? I don't think so. Because even as our hearts were racing, I remember saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your protection there. Now, there's, there are other ways you can, this, this, you can see these kinds of things. You, you might be, maybe you've been down to your last dollar and you open the mail and there's an anonymous check in there. I know people that that has happened with. It's the exact amount they needed for something that was coming up. Even smaller things, smaller mercies, I call them, are, are a cause to praise and thank God for his care. Just to recognize that that, you don't deserve that. You don't, you don't that, that's not owed to you. But it is an example of God's care. So that's the second. Third, an unusual linkage or timing with, with things that happen. Uh, trying to think of a good example here. Say you, you find out that somebody, that, that God stirred someone else to pray for you at precisely the moment that you were in trouble. I've heard that. I've had that. Uh, one pastor it's not my story, but it's his. In the early days of, um, this is probably 25 years ago now, the early days of the modern charismatic movement, the, the, the third wave churches, they call them, I think, uh, was preaching in his Sunday service when he, uh, quite a number of people started s- swooning or, and falling over or speaking with words in a language that, he, that, that couldn't be understood. He was deeply troubled by it because he had grown up in a, really, in a very conservative denomination that believed that these so-called sign gifts were no longer in effect because they had disappeared when the full text of the Bible had been assembled into the form we have it now. He was unable to sleep that night. He was so upset. And he spent a lot of time up in prayer, talking, probably more talking at God than to God. Uh, Finally, exhausted, he told God, Lord, if those things that happened were from you, I need to know. Then he went to sleep. His phone woke him up when it rang at 5 (laughs) a.m. It was a friend that lived uh, across the country in a a time zone two hours uh, later. Hadn't spoken to this other person in months. But the guy apologized for the earliness of the call. He knew what time zone this fellow was in. But he said, but I had to call you because the Lord has given me a message to pass on to you. And our troubled pastor asked him what the message was. And his friend said, well, it's really odd. And, and maybe it makes sense to you, but it doesn't make sense to me. So he said, well, what is it? He said, it was three words. That was me. Coincidence? I don't think so. <sighs> King David experienced those, not those kind of things exactly like that, but he experienced those unusual links and timings when he was being chased all over the place by Saul. Uh, chapter 23 of 1 Samuel tells us that just as Saul's men were uh, closing in on David and his men, Saul 
was, was diverted by an attack from the Philistines. And David was spared by the diversion. Coincidence? I don't think so. So, those kind of signs. Uh, and there's one more indicator, fourth. And that is um, help that you didn't expect as you're doing what God wants you to do. Help to do God's work. You might be, say, puzzling over if you're a teacher uh, teaching a discipleship lesson when a, a friend calls you and, and needs to talk. So you say, sure, uh, yeah, what, what do you need? And you, you're able to actually help the friend and maybe even use some of the insights from the very material you're about to teach. And after you get off the phone, you realize that God might have orchestrated that whole thing for you because now you know how you're going to teach it to those people. You've helped your friend, but your friend has actually helped you. So look for those kinds of things. But there are some obstacles. Three of them that I've got here. There's more than that, I'm sure. But the, the first obstacle to seeing God at work is maybe unexpected. It's being out of fellowship with God. Out, you're not quite right with God. Your relationship is intact. You, you're committed to Jesus. But maybe you're on the outs through sin or through disobedience. Maybe you've just become distant. You're not doing the things that you know will help you grow, like prayer and Bible study and times of worship because of other things getting in the way. You, you'll, when that happens, you'll grow cold and you just become less and less aware of God working in your life. Less and less. So that's one, and, and, and we know how to deal with that one, don't we? Confess the sin. Turn from what we're doing. Uh, Reinstigate those, those good patterns and habits. Start those habits if we've rather never really gotten on board with it. That's one. Second is um, trying to live in two different, trying to live in two worlds. Separating things into this world and the rest of things we do. If you compartmentalize your life, and what you do then is it's sometimes called separating the sacred from the secular. And, live, and you end up living one way, you might be living one way around your Christian community and another way around the rest of your friends. And you may miss seeing what God's doing in that world and, and, and miss it. Uh, you've ever, you know, we've all heard the saying, out of sight, out of mind. Well, this one is out of mind. Not in my mind, out of sight. doesn't show up. You don't see it. But without, without a conscious awareness of God, you, you, you begin to stop looking for God at work. And that leaves God out. And when you leave God out, you don't see what God's doing because you've stopped thinking spiritually. You stop thinking outwardly. You stop thinking about, Lord, how will I serve you today? There's another one that can happen, and it happens maybe too often, and that is uh, that really gets in the way, and that's burnout. And this, maybe this happens more to the dedicated servants of God than to anybody. But this can happen to them. People who are so, you're so zealous to serve that you say yes to everything. 
and you just do too much, and you wake up one day and realize that you're physically and emotionally and spiritually spent. Burned out. I had one guy say to me, well, it's better the burnout than the rust out. And I'm saying, why do you have to make it a choice of those two things? Isn't there some better way than doing either of those? Yeah. But it's really hard to see God at work when you're that tired, when you're that burned out. Because burnout just colors everything. Just, just colors everything. Um, I generally, uh, you all know, I t- generally take Monday as my day off. But Mondays seem to be the day that I wrestle with things the most. And usually that means I, I don't just, I don't just, I, 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 I see all the things that aren't happening. I see all the things that I don't like. And I miss seeing what is happening. I only see the problems and I don't see the good things. Tiredness will do that to you. And sometimes the best thing you can do is get a few good nights of sleep or some rest. Well, burnout is like tiredness on steroids. It can make it difficult to hear God. And you will grow cold. Let's go back, going to go into chapter 24 and hear uh, more of David's story. Uh, just finish, this is the last scripture passage here uh, today. Uh, 1 Samuel 24. And this is after, you know, the Saul breaking off his pursuit and all that. But uh, then this is when Saul comes back after chasing the Philistines, which is what took him away and uh, got David, you know, took the heat off David for a while. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. See what I mean about the Bible? It just gives you the whole story. (laughs) David and his men were far back in the cave. The same cave. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My Lord the king! When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say, 
David is bent on harming you. This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting the, me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs that you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Wow. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? He's thinking that's what he's, you know, compared to the king, the anointed king of Israel. May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? Human nature says, not on your life. May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul, and then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. This is another unusual linkage. The cave where Saul goes to relieve himself just happens to be the cave where David and his men are hiding. David had every reason to kill Saul, but he didn't. Even when it seemed like the Lord had delivered him into his hand. He, he recognized who Saul was and that Saul was the anointed king of Israel. He refused to lay a hand on him and ordered his men not to either. He knew that God had placed certain people in his life for for reasons that God knows, but we don't always know right away. And he determined he was going to honor them and not harm them, especially if they were in a position of God-given, anointed leadership. It just wasn't right for him to take things into his own hands. God was going to deal with Saul in his own time and in his own way. But one little detail you might overlook in the story is that even Saul was convicted by the character and confessed that he knew David was going to be the king of Israel. Samuel's prophecy was going to come about. And God used this incident to show David that the dream was still alive. Uh, maybe not jot down somewhere on your page, Psalm 57. It was written by David, and I think the heading says, when he was hiding in the cave from Saul. 
I don't know if it was that particular day or other times, but he wrote that when he was still fleeing. And he cried out in despair. And he says, the Lord heard my cry. And I'm sure David must have had a lot of second thoughts with all this being chased all over the place, wondering if he was actually going to be Israel's king. God put David and Saul together in that cave and showed David the dream was going to happen. And then he even got Saul to affirm it to him. It also taught David a valuable life lesson. Don't pursue the right dreams by the wrong means. Don't try to make it happen. We can get way too much human activity into some of the things. David wrote this. Yeah, sorry. Um, David was going to fulfill God's plan, but he's going to do it in a way that pleased God. His integrity shows. His integrity was revealed in the way he respected God's present leader. And knowing that God was at work and was going to bring about the things he told him through Samuel took the pressure off him and kept him from compromising his integrity. Why do some people see God at work in their lives and others don't? I think the reason is that some of them are looking and some of them aren't. I have a, I have a red Mazda 6 out in the parking lot here. It's about this color roughly. I love it. Okay, it's getting old now. But when I was in the market for that car six years ago, I saw them everywhere. I saw Mazda 6s every time I drove down a street, and I saw all the red ones because that's the color I wanted. I thought, I can't believe how many of these things are out here. I hadn't noticed them before I started looking for that car. But now I saw them every time I looked. I saw them because I was looking. Are you looking for God's present involvement in your life? Open your eyes to see how God shows himself to you in the everyday experience. Because when we lose sight of that, we can lose sight of what God has ahead. We can lose sight of that dream that God has for us. But if we see his presence, if we cultivate looking for it, um, being conscious that God is with us, seeing it in answered prayer, seeing it in, in evidence that we just didn't ever expect and just like it came so far to left field, you go, well, yeah, that, that was amazing, Lord. Thank you. Uh, seeing it in, in the way link, uh, events are linked and seeing it in sometimes assistance in, in help as we're doing what God wants us to do that we just didn't expect, but God brings along anyway. We see things like that. We're encouraged to stay the course and stay on track for, for God and for what he wants to do in our life. So look for the evidence and remove the obstacles so you can see God clearly. Do you see it? Do you see how God is intimately involved in our lives? In the easy and in the difficult. 
Do you have an awareness of God at work? Let's pray. Well, Lord, I feel sometimes when I'm giving, giving out a, ho- on a homework and assignment, but that, that it's for me too. That uh, to look back and reflect and as, as we've already sung, all my life you have been faithful. All of my life you have been so good to me. And to see those opportunities, those things where we have experienced your goodness, unexpected ways, but in little ways to remind us you are the God who is here. Lord, even when we pray, we pray knowing that you are the God who hears us. Even if the answer is yes sometimes, no other times, or not quite yet. We still trust you because we see these things. Lord, give us eyes to see where you're at work. Give us eyes to hear your voice, your quiet inner voice as you lead us and as we step through life, whether it's the mundane or the magnificent, whether it's the easy or the most difficult things. We trust you, Lord, and we say, Lord, in you alone, We have our righteousness and strength. In you alone, we will live. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you.
Bye. 